Hello, welcome to this week's Property Matters, the show that brings global trends to an Irish audience to help shape your knowledge of the industry. You can contact us on Twitter at iPropertyRadio or by email at hello at iPropertyRadio.com. Your hosts today are Carol Tala and myself, Brian Fox. Oh, thank you, Brian. Now, I'm looking forward to talking to all of our guests in the studio today. But first, let's take a look at some of the big stories of the week. So the Raise the Roof protest took place in the city um, this weekend and it showcased really the anger of people at the prevailing housing crisis and the government's handling of this. Much of the anger has been directed at the emerging co-living sector, which has been described as overpriced student accommodation for millennials. So we might discuss that this afternoon. Um, also, Dublin experienced the strongest growth in property prices among 32 countries countries and cities between 2013 and 2018, according to the IMF. Despite such rapid growth, um, the risk of a repeat of Ireland's boom-bust scenario is seen as unlikely by the IMF. However, this strongly contradicts an, OE, an OECD warning that the Irish property market is at risk of a new boom-to-bust cycle. It warns that the Irish property market remains vulnerable to rapid changes in prices with the influx of foreign investors, which could create a new source of risk, leaving the market vulnerable to rapid changes in prices and also from the risks associated with funding from outside of the Irish banking sector. So, on, as fans of Smart City initiatives currently being rolled out across Ireland cities, we welcome the installation of new smart benches in Dunleary that charge your phones on the go. Okay, well, it's been an eventful time uh, in the last few weeks in the Doyle, uh, and it's, it's amendments that have been really um, um, much much to do with the business of the Doyle this week. The first amendment was the Residential Tenancies Bill 2018, which is debated, and as that went through its final stage in the lower house, the effect of the new rules means that it will be more difficult for landlords to evict tenants and enhance the, the enforcement powers for the Residential Tenancies Board. Once enacted, it will outlaw what is known as renovations. This is where a tenant is forced out because the landlord wants to renovate the property and then offer it to a new tenant at a higher rent. Should a landlord want a tenant to leave the property, they have to have a good reason for them doing so. The change must be substantial be either a permanent extension which increases the floor by 25% or a combination of other improvements. Should the landlord want a tenant to leave, they must get a certificate from an architect or, or a surveyor stating that the work could be considered a health and safety risk and therefore uh, that it needs to be vacated for at least a, a three years. The landlord wants uh, a tenant to vacate to substantially refurbish or renovate the property. When the work is completed, it must be offered to the former tenant. And in the event of the landlord wanting to sell the property, there must be a contract for sale within nine months of the termination date or else uh, offer it to relet to the former tenant. There was also pressure put on the Minister for Housing, Owen Murphy, to have a, a rent register in which potential tenants could see what the previous tenant was paying. But the Minister felt that he was he has to continue to look at the rental sector and make sure all the necessary protections are in place as we have to have landlords uh, protection also. Another important aspect of the legislation is the RTB will be able to investigate landlords who attempt to engage in non-compliance with rent increase restrictions and as it happens at 7pm this evening it's due to be debated in the Senate and it's due then to uh, finish its final stages. The housing spokesperson for Fianna Fáil, Dara O'Brien, has put forward a private member's bill last Thursday called the Property Service Regulation Amendment Management Company Regulation Bill 2018. Now, the aim of this bill is to establish a management owner company ombudsman to be called the ombudsman for management owner companies. Basically, the function of the ombudsman should be to help management owners with setting up committees uh, which are mainly filled by volunteers. It seems that most committees within... um, within houses and uh, apartments aren't run very well and have difficulty informing uh, committees. Another feature of it is to cut the local property tax. Uh, the thinking here is that the management pays, the management fees pay for services within the property development. And as we know, the tax was established to fund services such as maintaining public lighting, roads, grounds, keeping, etc. Uh, the bill w- will now be uh, discussed and it will not be before the door for the next, si- next six months. And... Uh, when speaking to Adair O'Brien he was quite happy with that as well because there's other constitutional um, parts to be to be looked at and the Attorney General has to look at it as well. Finally Sinn Féin last week tabled a bill called the 35th Amendment of the Constitution and in brackets right to a home bill 20, 2016 they had a private members bill before the Dáil called the 35th oh, sorry I mentioned that essentially their party spokesman on housing owner Bryn wants to provide a referendum so that the house to the state recognise the right of all citizens to adequate appropriate secure safe and affordable affordable housing. 
And in a lengthy reply to this proposal, Minister David Stanton, who was representing Minister Owen Murphy, said that, that the absence of a right to housing in the Constitution has never prevented the government from actively seeking to provide housing for those in need and the provision of social housing has been taking place since the foundation of the state, wherever this has always been done, with appropriate consideration for the other needs of citizens, which must be factored into any allocation of scarce resources. There were other contributions from members, members of other parties, was it all, but within a couple of hours the, the bill was voted down. And that's it for this week. Um, they, no, so as, uh, they were all very interesting pieces that you had there, Carol. Uh, but as for now, our first guest up today is Joanne Lavelle, Director of Michael Lavelle Estate Agents and Damien Ward, Managed Director of MM Ward Estate Agents and Property Consultants. So Damien and Joanne, very good to see you. Thank you, Brian. Um, I'm so delighted listening to the political oh. piece today, Brian, that we have two estate agents with us today. I have to get your reaction to some of that um, some of the, the political proposals there. I mean, actually, I think that's probably the first time that I've heard landlord protection actually being included because I genuinely thought that, that was something that has been completely railroaded and forgotten over the past over the past number of years simply because it doesn't appear to be politically popular. So what do you make of the changes proposed in terms of um, the properties to get a tenant to vacate it was always very vague that um, substantial work was going to be done now that's going to be made less vague which is welcome but to have an architect sign off that the property can't be in use for a number of years and after that period of time to go back to the original tenant to give them right of first refusal does that even make sense? Well, in my opinion the bar is set very high in terms of what the landlord is going to be required to do to be compliant Um I also think that practicality is going to have a big catch-up on its hands to catch up with the policy because um, it came up today in CPD actually with IPAV and the regulator in relation to how can, if you're letting a property, how can you check if it's in a rent control zone what the outgoing rent was. Um, So there's no proper provision for that information. So register for that is probably the ideal solution. But certainly in terms of refurbishments and so on, the bar is set very high and it is another example of where um, the cost to continue performing as a landlord is going to become increasingly prohibitive, which we're probably going to talk about it later on in the sales section, but it, it's an ongoing problem for landlords. 70% of the landlords in Ireland in the private rental sector are one-off landlords. They don't have a lot of money to spend on improvements. So there's there's a practicality versus policy gap here. Mm-hmm. So the impression I'm getting from you then is that uh, you're not, not too happy with what what the, the, the contents of the bill are in relation to what you discussed, obviously. Well, I'm, I'm happy that, that, that it continues to support tenant rights. I'm yeah. happy also that it, that it actually, as you say, Carol, talks a little bit, you know, almost, you know, is a new topic in terms of landlord entitlements and rights. Um, but the balance isn't right. The, ba- the balance isn't there. right. The balance yeah. isn't right. And I think that um, some of, some of the, the concepts um, are um, a little bit too deep reaching in terms of what the, what's going to be deliverable. Yeah, Damien, you're you're operating in Nace and the wider Kildare area. So, what are you seeing in terms of um, our private landlords leaving the market, or how is how yeah, is the market no, down in Kildare? Bit of an exodus, all right, of of uh, private landlords for that same reason is that a lot of more accidental landlords and they didn't get into this situation and might have bought um, and at the peak and, and now obviously kind of it's only now they're kind of coming around and, and breaking even. So, um, there would be I, I would find at the moment there seems to be a lot of landlords just had, are fed up with it really, and it's all in favour of the tenants um, it's, it's probably a regular occurrence that you get landlords now well, I suppose in, in other way it's good for our business because we're getting the sale of a property but, but and, and the flip side of that is that landlords have just had enough really yeah because um, it all, it's, it's all in favour of the tenants and, and you can see again that what's coming down the tracks is always in favour of the tenants as well Yeah mm. and see the difficulty about losing the one-off private landlords from the market is um, once a gap opens up the market will step in to fill that. So what's the market going to fill it with? Is it going to fill it with more institutional investors? And the reality is the institutional investors don't want to be in every town in Ireland. They don't want to deal with small developments. They don't want to deal with low value rents. So actually by, you know, are, are we creating a gap that it might be more um, unpredictable how it's going to be filled? Um, well, in my experience, so we would be losing probably about one landlord a month where they're exiting the market and disposing of the asset. Um, and I won't say half of those sales are... It, I think it will increasingly become half where the small institutional investment occurs, so a pension 
somebody mm. will purchase that asset through a pension um, and that's critical some people you know some people aren't so much in favour of people purchasing property through pensions but it's a critical part of the market and in Dundalk for example um, you know we have you know a good amount of FDI um, employment generated yes, activity in Dundalk foreign direct investment, investment. Yeah. so you're talking about your PayPal's national pens there's a big pharmaceutical plant being built at the moment Uji Biologics those people need places to live they're not necessarily buyers they're renters um, the, the the interesting thing, um, and I suppose it moves on a little bit to se- to selling and development, is, you know, if you think that there's three key ways that houses are being supplied, it's through the the, the build to rent schemes, the um the, the social housing schemes, mm-hmm. and the open market purchase of the private builds. Um, in places like Dundalk, we don't really have the build to rent because that's 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 a city phenomenon. It's not it's not so much a regional phenomenon, certainly um not outside of the main cities. So so in Dundalk, for example, we would we would have a lot of social housing and a lot of private housing bills, okay? So when the social houses when people are taken off if they're in private rental situations and they're HAP recipients and they're moved over to the social housing and that's in line with government policy and that's important and it gives them strength and security of tenure. Um, but what's happening is, um, as you correctly said, the landlord is taking the opportunity. Maybe they've been renting for a long time. They've been using the asset for a long time. It's reached positive or neutral equity and they exit the market. Mm. So it's creating a gap. Um, so it's one in, one out. It's going to take a while for the market to stabilise for, the, for that gap. Do you see that snowballing? Supply. Do you see a big sell-off in terms of property? You know. Well, as I say, at the moment, I'm, I'm just seeing it on, on a steady level. On a steady level. On a steady level. Um, but as the social housing supply ramps up, more uh, tenants will vic- will move into that that scenario into the social housing scenario and move away from private yes. renting. Yes, and which as a state we need. You know, we, we need, need people to, yeah. to be moving in that direction. Yeah. Um, is there an upside to this? Are we opening up opportunities for first-time buyers, perhaps? Yes, we are. I mean, when I think of Dundalk, for example, um, first-time buyers will see good value in Dundalk. Now, we're coming close to the end of the re- of the Help to Buy scheme. So, you know, in a few months, it's sort of probably not going to be something that we're going to be talking about anymore. But when you think about, for example, you will buy, a, you can buy a new bedroom, three-bedroom house in Dundalk for 250000 $260,000. You can buy a second-hand three-bedroom house for 200000 So there's very good value there. Mm. And as the landlords exit the market, yes, it's an opportunity to, for first-time buyers, second-hand buyers, anybody. And I'm sure Dundalk would be considered commuter belt as well. Yeah, I mean, we're only an hour from Dublin and an hour from Belfast. Yeah, exactly. And then we slightly have the Brexit thing. I mean, I don't know if it's the elephant in the room or not because nobody really knows what what the situation is. And I know that the OECD, I think, had a report last last month about the effect Mm -hmm. that that's going to have and it is going to affect the property market down as as low, down as south as Cork. But... um, you know, it's not a thing that's destabilising our market. Our market is good. And it's is there a market f- variance between, well. say, um, say north of the north of the border, like Newry, that type of location, in comparison to Monaghan and, and the south of the, the border? Well, north of the border, it, it, I mean, ironically, it's maybe five kilometres from my front door, and I can't, I don't really have a grasp of its property market, okay. although I will say right. that the, um, the values are, are, are way softer. Okay, and that's a lot to do with with you know incomes and so on. Yeah. So, what areas are you uh, and your firm operating in at the moment, Joanne? So, in counties Louth and Monaghan and North Meath. That's a huge catchment area. It is quite a big catchment area. It's a heavily populated area, so. Yeah. So you must be seeing um, quite a spread. I, I'd imagine it's not one trend. So, for example, um, in Monaghan, I would imagine the market property market there is quite different, say, than it might be in. Drogheda or Dundalk. Yes, it is. I mean, even Drogheda and Dundalk, they they have their their individual little quibbles you know of course, what I mean? it's very yeah. different um, I, I suppose really um, all of the markets are kind of adjusting with the housing stock coming in um, Monaghan absolutely it's a very di- Monaghan Carrick Macross they're different to Dundalk mm. but they're steady they're steady stable markets and they are people are increasingly opting to, to live there where they can buy a bigger or a more affordable house than in Dublin Yeah absolutely and I'd imagine Damien that's a trend you're seeing in Kildare Yeah well Nace is definitely obviously a commuter town there's no doubt about that But it's always been one of the most expensive commuter towns so yeah. I don't know how how um, high it is on the list of say affordability so I think Nace has always had traditionally a lot to offer in terms of facilities and an easier commute so um, it has a lot going for it other than affordability but mm. maybe affordability isn't isn't as great as it might be. What no, are our average prices at the moment? It would depend. You're right. I suppose in years gone by, NACE didn't mm. actually inter- during the boom. It, it never actually did, it did get much building going on. There was yeah. a, an issue there with the services. So that's one of the reasons that it was always very expensive. But now it's, it's kind of gone to the opposite. There's now a, a mass supply of new homes in, in NACE. 
Um, so you will see the prices I have already seen already in recent, even the last maybe two or three months, that prices have started to soften a little bit and have come back a little bit. Mm. Really? Yeah, I have. Yeah, is so. that the impact of all the new homes? Because no. there is it three, four brand new developments could, yeah, just after launching. You're right, yeah, exactly. Yeah, five and actually. High end, yeah, yeah, all, all, yeah, all high end, exactly. A whole high end. So um, and, and then that new motorway too. That's been exactly. Yeah, yeah. So that's the big issue. Is was the infrastructure really? That is that has been sorted. It's work and work in progress as we speak. Yeah. Which will obviously add to it, but it is a very affluent area. Nice will be a very affluent area. There's no doubt. And about where would they be coming from to come to Nate? I th- it's actually it's all over. Even uh, Monaghan, Cavan, all uh, even from 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 areas like that that are actually working in Dublin and it's affordable. So you have it from all over the country. Yeah. Um, then you'd have obviously people that are moving out they're just priced out it's the same old story they've always been priced out of the Dublin market so they're, they're now moving yeah. out to Nace alright Jim I'm genuinely mm. surprised because I, I live quite close to Nace um, and actually I, I've been really surprised at the high quality mm. of the new developments that's open and you know I, I certainly don't want to be giving one developer a plug over another but mm. I had an experience there just over Christmas I spoke mm. to a first time buyer who had been looking for about uh, two years and she was somebody employed by a tech firm has you know so she was well well set up to be a first time buyer and could have purchased an apartment in Dublin and she was out visiting a friend in a new development um, near the college out in um now, out near the Kilsheek Hotel yeah, yeah, yeah. and I think it was a Ballymore development and she visited her friend yeah. took took a walk around the showroom mm. fell in love with the property and you know as somebody who worked as a buyer's agent for nearly a decade I always say it's a terrible thing to do to fall in love with the property not knowing the area you know yeah, it should yeah. be the absolute mm. opposite mm. Mm. Um, but no she fell in love with the development and then she got to know Nace fell in love with Nace and then mm. realised there was so many of her generation and uh, of her colleagues and past colleagues had bought in the area. So she actually purchased a house that she hadn't been looking for at all after two years of house hunting in Dublin, uh, moved into Nace just uh, before Christmas. And when I was chatting to her over Christmas, she said it was the best thing she ever did. Uh, the quality of life, the yeah. easy commute. Yeah. You know, she has the option of working from home sometimes. So it's amazing. Sometimes as um, property people, we don't necessarily it, it might make sense to us what drives some first time buyers and sometimes they just want uh, the home that is beautifully presented and it fits their lifestyle and it fits their budget and you know it, so it can be really surprising and Nay seems to offer that and and of course within the easy commute of Dublin so what's the most active sector of the market in Nace at the moment? Well obviously the new homes is, is, is yeah. flying yeah that's obviously but you also again now it is a bit for an affordability you have about listen there, there were probably 290 your standard three bedroom mm-hmm. semi was 290 25 has come back to probably 270 275 now in, really? the, in the last two months and I've even I have two cases of two properties selling in uh, two different estates that have kind of yeah there have been 20,000 20, less they've sold 20,000 less in the last two months Are they new builds? They're second hand, sorry, second, second hand. hand, second second hand, hand yeah. Now, is it the flood of new new properties to the market? Is that putting I pressure on the general, second hand market? Well, you have that as well. In general, there seems to be a lot more supply, even okay. on the second. I don't know if you're finding it as well, but in, in the la- I've taken on more properties in the last two months than I did in probably the previous six months. Wow. Okay. With, and, and I think that's right across the board. That's not just with, with me as a, with our agency. I think mm. it's right across the board. So there just it seems to be a bit more supply. It could be a, a combination of landlords as well, like we already mm. spoke about, just releasing this, have had enough of this, and just releasing <coughs> their three, three by semis as well. So you've kind of a combination of, of, of landlords releasing properties. Um, and then maybe people just saying that the properties have, have maxed out that, that they've reached their peak level here at this stage so they're, they're looking to, to release a bit of equity as well and mm-hmm. what is the rental market in Nace like at the moment still very strong still still crazy yeah still like a, a two bed apartment in like Nace. is there more demand than supply oh, yeah you, you're going to have like any if you've got a two bedroom apartment you're going to have queues queues up outside the door it's, it's terrible to yeah. buy our to, to, to rent, to rent. To, yeah, sorry yeah. and you'll be looking you could like 1200 euros for a very bog standard two bedroom apartment in Nace like that's what kind of rent so the the rent is, is quite crazy right, I'm just curious I mean <clears throat> two estate agents here at the moment and you mm. both seem very disheartened about what you've heard there in relation to the, to the tenancy bill mm. is there much is there much con- consultation with the with the ministry in terms of your own Misgivings about what's going on in the market at the moment in relation to landlord, to relation to tenants and so forth. Well, not that I'm aware of. I think it's mostly uh, led through, for example, the RTB, the Residential Tenancies Board, and Threshold and various organisations like that, which do a very important job. And that's you know they have a very important role in trying to to ensure rights for everybody. Um, but I don't know that it necessarily that the policy leaders necessarily. Um, 
consult with landlords. It's a difficult thing, but but for sure, the big the big challenges for landlords are the taxation and the building regulations. It's uh, it's it's just become too prohibitive. And as you correctly said, um, some landlords have been sitting in negative equity and topping up their mortgage obligations in their rental, and then in the last few years, it's been the reverse. And I suppose they're now coming to a point where they can they can move on. But okay, like we've talked about how the bill to rent hasn't really become a, a regional phenomenon and, and maybe it won't. So what happens in the regional areas when private landlords exit the market? What's that doing to the rental market? Well, in some cases, like for example, um, I would have managed a particular property for a long time for many years. The tenant moved into a new um, publicly built house um, and the landlord opted to sell the asset but it was bought by a pension fund by okay. pe- somebody so buying into their pension. So it will still be made available so to the rental stay, market. That will stay within that circulation but I would say that th- that well, we are going to see a gradual attrition of that because if something comes on the market it's a 50-50 chance whether it's going to be bought by an mm. owner occupier or by an investor you know and those properties you know they're still within an affordability level for the investment that the yield is still adequate enough that it's, that it's viable um, but we are I think going to see a bit of attrition so so what's the answer to that? I don't know. I, d- I don't see build to rent coming around the corner in Dundalk anytime soon. But it, but yeah. but uh, first time buyers in Dundalk have a, a competitor wearing a, a different hat, if you like, because social housing. I think Louth County Council have been one of the most active in delivery of social housing yeah. uh, units. Um, the, pro rata, I think they're among the top in the country and. I know that a lot of that is partnering with approved housing bodies. Yes, that's a very strong area. They've also been very progressive, in fairness to them, in um, bringing um, dilapidated property back into stock, so CPOing property. Oh, yeah. They were the first county council that did it, mm. CPOed old property because... We're still very slow in we, Dublin, we, right? Yeah, yeah. That yeah. All, mm. that's all a critical that's, part of building, <clears throat> that's of getting a stable initiative. property market, you know. And I would say, in relation to the rentals in Dundalk, we're at a stable level now. We've had a very strong rate of growth in the last two years, and now it's steady. But yeah, we'll still see some, some weeks we'll have a peak demands yeah. where we put what, something on the What market. is the average rent for say a two bed apartment or a three bed house? Uh, it, a two bed apartment would be you know a thousand euro okay yeah and a three bedroomed a three bedroomed house to rent will be 11, 1200 euro depending mm-hmm. so that's putting it above the cost of a mortgage but then you know you get into the difficulty of not everybody being and able to Jamie, to you what, exactly yeah. what, uh, what Karen just asked what, what's the social housing um, situation now in, in, the, in the Kildare areas and much supply in relation to down there there's not as again it's, it's, we deal with the county council and they're all, all, always out actively looking um, there's a huge again shortage of, of social housing to be honest with you is yeah. that because of property buys down there or, or not availability of land L- land I think to be honest with you yeah, I think it's more sort of land yeah um, I'm just, and, and I don't know whether uh, I think that's the, the main issue. Is just the, the, mm. the land. I think is, is the big issue. Yeah. Is is sorry, Brian. Is part of that because um, Kildare was seen as so attractive for developers that it was maybe one of the areas that there was certainly a perception that there was uh, large potential landlords. They were holding on to land banks there until such time as development became viable. Mm, I'm not 100 percent sure. And I really, yeah, I suppose it could be. Maybe I'm not. I'm not 100 sure. To be honest with you, not Carl. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. No, the yeah. delivery of social housing um, out in lots of towns. You know, some local authorities just seem to have picked up the ball and run with it. They're very good at doing it, like Louth County Council. Yeah. And then there's others. I, I think maybe Kildare just doesn't have. Uh, I, I I don't know. Is it the same? You know, a jigsaw with all of these pieces, and they just don't seem to be putting the pieces together and working with the but approved it, it housing is prime bodies. Farming land out there, though, as well, isn't it? And you've got goffs down there, and you know. So I'd imagine. Yeah, that but that's a zoning issue. Do you know what I mean? Mm. There's no new zoning coming on. I mean, I think yeah. Wicklow is also quite busy in, in terms of yeah. housing mm, associates, yeah. but it is a zoning thing and yeah. services because that was one of the difficulties that NACE, as you say, um, was having with regard to infrastructure. But I know if I'm selling a piece of development land, which I did recently, um, you know, there's a clamber for it because it's scarce uh, service land that's, you know, zoned and everything and, you know, ready to go for planning permission. Mm. Uh, and I'll see split down the middle 50-50 between a guy who's going to build for for open market sale and a guy who's going to build on contract for a housing association so it's a balance right and, and it's in a good way yeah well, look that's what we need we need all sectors moving exactly so um, Damien what are your prospects for the NACE market now over the next year I think it's good I think it's still going to be strong alright yeah I just I do think prices have softened and it's probably stabilised and it's no bad thing I think in, in general the overview of the market will co- come back a little bit but I do think there's a huge demand there and it's still as I said already it's a good area it's a very strong area so I do I do think that the future is good and it is bright for NACE um, although prices will come back slightly I think that's any it. 
any advice for people who might be thinking of selling their home over the next 12 months? Any advice would be, it's the million dollar question, isn't it? <laughs> who has the crystal ball? I know, I think, I, personally, that is my own, my own feeling is that I think we are probably kind of peaking, or we have probably peaked. I don't know whether there's a huge amount more in it by sitting on it. I think that going to the market now, but again, I don't like saying these kind of things. Of because course. You, you don't be, you Cheers. Have, See you a yeah. slowdown coming, do you? No, no, I don't think it's slowdown, but just a, a slight readjustment. readjustment. Re- yeah, recalibrating yeah, yeah maybe yeah, yeah exactly yeah yeah that yeah, seems yeah. to be a national trend it's a and, and for you Joanne what the are your the same although you know um We've we've you know we've had a very fairly busy new homes market more so in the three and four bed semi sort of standard stock area in Dundalk recently, um, and I suppose really what will dampen or will change that will be government policy moving forward. Well, that's the Good. that's the that seems to be the big thing at the moment. That was uh, Joanne Lavelle, director of Michael Lavelle Estate Agents, and Damien Ward, managing director of MM Ward Estate Agents and Property Consultants. Um, very interesting piece to kick the programme off with uh, thank you Joanne and Damien for coming in stay tuned because after the break with us in the studio we'll have Emma Hayes head of new media and PR for Property District your community radio for South Dublin this is Dublin South FM and you're very welcome back to this week's episode of Property Matters here in Dublin South FM with Carol Tallon and myself Brian Fox you can contact us on Twitter at iPropertyRadio or email hello at iPropertyRadio.com Com. As mentioned before the break, our next guest today is Emma Hayes. She's head of U Media and PR for Property District. Emma, thanks. Good to see you again. Hello, how are you? Good, I'm good. And I hope you're keeping well as well. Very well. What is New Media? Tell us. Ah, New Media. Yes. New Media is all about um, video, audio, uh, content that's uh, is distrib- distributed through uh, computers okay. and everything like that. So it is all about uh, how you use the new technologies and forward them out to people. And I'm media. guessing that's quite useful in the um, property market now. It is definitely useful. Uh, we're using it a lot in terms of like video and infographics and everything. Um, in property district now, we have an in-tech um, in-house team that can provide like virtual reality and augmented reality and everything. So we're very much paying attention to the changes and me as head of media has to kind of over mm. overlook everything and make sure that we're kind of staying ahead of competitors. In terms how familiar of are people that are looking for property? Uh, how, how are they up to speed with these new developments? Um, I think people that are looking for property, if you're talking about people that want to buy property, I think most of them, um, we're dealing with an on-demand kind of customer now. Um, estate agents can't, uh, the old style brochure is not good enough anymore. Okay. Um, it's just not good enough because people are very much digitally inclined now and that's the way it's going. So Would that be under a certain age group, I'm sure? Yeah, it is. It is. But also I think older people are turning mm. towards technology now and like most older people, the demographic, they're all on Facebook. A lot of them are anyway. And um, social media is a huge part of that. So what we're t- finding now with estate agents is if you just even have just a website, that's not actually good enough. You actually have to make sure you have the right user experience. You have to make sure it's mobile friendly. And you have to make sure it's being updated with regular content that is valuable to them and providing good solutions to the, the customer's problem, the client's problem. So their problems are they may not know an area that they're coming to live in. They might not know the coffee shops. They might mm. not know the restaurants. And that's where we come in to kind of deliver that kind of good rapport with their estate agent and how to create And you're a really working good with the estate agent then? Yeah, of course. Mm. So we would look at the estate agent, look at um, their brand, their business and everything. And what we do is then we kind of um, make a a whole strategy around their business and how we can amplify that out to the people and basically look at their story and how we can make it um, good for the customer. So, um, for example, if we had an estate agent um, in a town, we would look at how we can project that. So we Mm. would look at their... um, Uh, What does the attitude say from provincial estate agents to these new ideas for marketing property? I think most of them are happy enough to change. I think it's important that they do. Mm -hmm. Um, I think, yeah, there can be some reservations on it. But once you sit them down and you actually like show them, and it is about showing them how things can improve, with our help well then they really do come on board with that um, it's very important for them to to come on board because like I said the old style brochure is not going to yeah but I, d- I don't want to sound ageist here but uh, <laughs> are the older type of managed estate is slower to adapt to change or is it the newer set that's uh, coming up I don't I think some of them might have reservations but I don't think a lot of them do no Emma you've been very generous letting them away with that incredibly <laughs> ageist <laughs> remark yes Brian that is entirely ageist in fact one of the things you know one uh, one of the things I always say about innovation if you're innovative 
at 19 you're mm-hmm. going to be innovative at 90 that's mm-hmm. that's it yeah, so actually true. you know embracing change readiness to innovate that's a mindset it's absolutely not an age and in fact one of the things we've seen more than anything is that um some of the estate agents particularly the the second generation estate agents that have been around for a long time mm. they know better they've seen change before they know it's all cyclical and I think one of the amazing things that Emma touched on there was user experience that's new to us now because yeah. we never called things user experience but actually you know uh, if you went back 30, 40 decades ago before technology if you were moving to a new area who would you go see? You'd go see the local estate agent. So they actually were the people who mm. were responsible for user experience. We just didn't call it that. But that's the person who would show you around town, put you into their car, drive you around, yeah. bring you into the pub at lunchtime, introduce you to the man behind the bar, yeah. you know, tell you where the best place to get a sandwich is. You know, so actually estate agents in any given town were the masters of the yeah. user experience and and it just kind of slipped away I don't know did they forget it was, yeah. was it replaced by digital brochures or, or sorry brochures or something and actually in a way new technology is giving the estate agents a way to go back to what they were really good at you know technology can replace a lot mm. but um, what the estate agents do in a local town you know if their special thing is their knowledge it's the, the fact that they're part of the yeah. community so um, community I, I, building and everything yeah, yeah. well so I'm going to be aged again because I do remember <laughs> a time when um, it was the popular thing was for a house to be sold by auction through an estate agent yeah. is that still very much in vogue at the moment Harris technology replace that idea uh, as well. well there's online bidding now and there's all online um, kind of auctioning as well uh, to be honest I don't think auctioning is as big as what it used yeah, to be yeah, maybe yeah, you yeah. would uh, you no, would, it, I don't think it is to be I, honest. I agree with I, you yeah, yeah I yeah. agree with you it's not and in fact is. you know what we're is seeing is that a good thing we're getting or is it uh, no well actually it depends it's a time saving thing um, time, yeah, yeah. Yeah. auction is, is a strategic tool for selling that estate agents use it for a particular property so if they have a property that um, you know they feel that there will be high demand for well you know yeah. there, there are many reasons why they might why they might adopt bidding and in fact one of the things we saw since 2011 is the rise of online bidding platforms and mm, that allowed yeah. companies like BidX1 or formerly Alsop it allowed them to auction 200 properties in 24 hours like you know they're moving a lot of property you know um, tens of millions worth of property in a very short space of time but they're doing it online so yeah. we're still using that soon new media if yeah. you want to go backwards yeah okay know, well that's, that's all that's all to do with, with uh, auctioning storytelling I believe is a very important part of your yeah, well, it definitely is. For me, it's all about the story. For me, um, I, I'm very much interested in an estate agent story. And That's who your they writing are. background. Exactly. Emma, Emma is a writer and novelist. So. Yeah, yeah. So for me, it's all about the story. So I love going into a new estate how, how, agent. How, how, how long he's yeah. been established? Exactly. How long he's been there? Yeah, yeah who yeah. are you? And like just getting to know them as well because everyone has different little takes. And Make some people would want yeah. a more corporate style and some mm-hmm. people are more, actually, I want to be a little different and less, uh, less corporate. And it's really getting to know their brand and for me it's all about trying to find that good story within them and making it unique so um, we look at all different things like the property story as in how we can sell the property so you have a so property that looks are you, great are you saying like individual properties have their own story as well I think so Yeah, I actually think so like if I look after property brochures and I have done for people I will look at every technical detail and look room to room and try and get a good feel for the property so that um, I can sell a property and sometimes some properties are easier than others because obviously there's ones that are empty and it's a shell but then you've got to try and look at like the logistics of it where's the location what is in the surroundings mm-hmm. of it um, what is the potential um, customers need to uh, your clients when you're selling property they want to know how their life is going to fit into that house so they really want to feel at home so you can only do that through storytelling and when we say about storytelling as well through community stories through local stories all that kind of stuff basically we're positioning the estate agent as an expert in their area without you even realising and estate agents will always say well why am I t- why am I writing a blog why is this blog about this well we're writing it but for them but they're saying like why am I doing this well it's 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 quite simple storytelling is an old style Indeed. of con- connecting with mm, people mm. and emotions people won't remember an estate agent but they will remember how much time would you would you expect to, to spend with an estate agent to form a story for them uh, not very long and it depends because you get to know them over like a few phone calls or going in house to them um, it's not it's not too difficult because you. I think instantly when I meet someone, I will know exactly what, where they want to go with their brand and how they want to project their brand. But also it takes trust. Mm-hmm. They have to trust me because if they don't trust me, how am I supposed to do my job well? I can only do it if you trust me enough to actually mm-hmm. know what's good f- for your business and also to 
adopt your kind of branding and your style. So in a way, it's like a type of journalism. You're, you're building a story based on trust. Oh, definitely, of course. It definitely is. And you have to use those skills in this, um, mm. down to the property stories, down to your blogs, infographics, down to even getting them into speaking engagements or getting them on the radio. They all need to have a story because people will not connect with you unless it's a story. Uh, what stories would you tell, uh, normally speaking? Well, for so, some estate agents, we go backwards. We look at the, the restaurants in the area so we can connect with the people that are moving to the area. Other things is like reasons why you want to live in a certain area. So reasons to live in, say, it could be anywhere like uh, Kildare Town or wherever. Mm -hmm. So we would do that. So then people are kind of looking at it, getting to know the area and stuff. And then what happens is you build this lovely community feel. So in instances of that, when we create this community feel for a client, well, then you have people that are doing clubs, groups and all sorts of things in the town contacting the estate agent saying, can you put us on your list of um, services in the area and stuff? So basically people are remembering you because of those stories and because, you know, it's not just about the call to action and the selling the property. People want a lot more now and you need to keep them on your website. So when we go back to the website and the new media user experience, um, looking, clicking at a house. We also want them to look at blogs. We want them to look at the testimonials and you need to keep them on your website longer. So you can do that by storytelling. Whereas if you only have the call to action of this for sale house, it, how creative is that? It's not very creative. So if you do want a creative mindset, please do call us because, you know, we'll bring it to your <laughs> to your business. And I suppose now with the construction industry the way it is today, yeah. uh, with the amount of unavailability and, and so forth yeah. of, of property, um, competition must be quite intense now between estate agents in terms of attracting is. clients and, and advising clients as to where to go it and is. what the best property is. And that's where we come are. in to really position them as the expert in their area. And it is giving them that heads up because other estate agents, if you look at your competitors in your town, which I say to any estate agent, look at the websites, look at what they're doing. Well, th most of them are probably not blogging regularly. Most of them are not doing infographics. Most of them probably aren't um, going online. They're probably not doing PR where they're in the news or anything like that. Yeah. And we can actually provide all those kind of services through PR and everything else. So there's lots of things we can do. Um, you mentioned something interesting there. And I suppose, you know, maybe it's something that people wouldn't think about. But it's not just about promoting. It's not just about any one business or any one agency promoting itself. You're actually showcasing an area. area. You're yeah. making an area attractive. Yeah. But you're also showcasing other businesses in the town. Yeah. You know, it's a again. community building. It, it, yeah. So that means that when you you like do a, a piece on, say, a restaurant in the town, that Indeed. restaurant's going to throw it out to their social yeah. media. They're going to say thanks very much to the estate agent. And they're probably going to come and use you when they need to sell a house or when they hear something. They'll be like, oh, well, actually, this guy is good. So it is about it's a much bigger picture than just throwing out a blog. There is a very simple strategy to it but it does need to be executed well. And I'm sure the client is probably very much well I would be anyway personally speaking attracted to, to that type of story. Yeah no I think it really works well and it's it's not me just saying it I actually believe that by doing that you create a really good rapport with your clients. And, ah, I think and, and just as a matter of interest with that type of work involved do you think then that the estate agent should, needs to cut back then on advertising once they have this sort of medium of, of the blog and, and, and the story and so forth? I don't, I, I wouldn't say so now. I think I think with us when we come in we offer a very good tool as in that and it's, it's out of their house as well as such. So realistically we're coming in with a new fresh mindset and everything. So yes, maybe they wouldn't want to advertise but not all estate agents advertise their properties anyway right. at this right. moment. Right. But through um, the social media, through the storytelling, through the PR, all the services that we go, they're getting all the benefits of all in, in really. term, yeah, which yeah. is kind of like advertising, but we're doing it in a very um, a less obvious way, I suppose, because we're showcasing them, we're showcasing the community, which is exactly what they need. You see, you have to remember as well, one of the things that I, I'm so aware of, and I think, um, you know, obviously the tragedy in Grenfell, um, the Grenfell Tower in mm, London as well, yeah. really mm. brings it home. People aren't content just to know kind of what's being built in their area you know like we, we've talked about for estate agents but for property developers and even more particularly for say contractors people want to know what's being built who's building it and what materials they're yeah. using yeah. this is stuff is that true. you yeah. know um, a decade ago people weren't asking it mm. was just what's going up yeah great fire it up you know people are so concerned that um, about what's the safety record of this developer what's the safety record yeah. of this contractor you know how you know in terms of the multi-unit developments um you know, and, and management companies. How well do they manage? How well do they manage the handover of this development when they're finished? Uh, do mm. they leave and are people satisfied with it? So reputation has never been more important and it all comes back to trust. So any business that's serious about creating trust 
for their clients they're serious about the reputation okay that was Emma Hayes head of new new media and PR for property district thanks again for coming in Emma's good to see you Uh, we'll uh, be back shortly with uh, more more news everything's fine on 93.9 Dublin South FM. And you're very welcome back to Property Matters here in Dublin South FM with Carol Tal and myself, Brian Fox. You can contact us on Twitter at iPropertyRadio or email hello at iPropertyRadio.com. As mentioned before the break in the studio with us right now is Natalie Ryan. Uh, she's Business Development Coordinator of uh, CPAS, CPAS, and Susan O'Mara, Financial Service Consultant at Milestone Advisory. Natalie, Susan, we're very good to see you here. Thank you. Thank you. Um, for the, the pension construction industry. Um, how is it doing nowadays? With the, uh, with the, are the dark days, are the gloomy days gone? Do you think? Um, well, I suppose our schemes um, are run for the people working in the sector. Um, so we've got two very large schemes um, with about 1.5 billion under management for the construction workers and about um, half billion for for. A construction executives and both of those schemes um, I mean they're not they're not reliant on the sector but obviously they do very well when the sector is doing very well right. and there's obviously some growth in the sector for the last number of years so yeah there's there's definitely positivity there Good and yourself um, how, how are you seeing things at the moment Susan? Natalie. Sorry, Natalie, excuse me, sorry. Uh, yeah, well, I've I've been working um, in the scheme there for over 10 years and the last couple of years it's definitely picked up and, you know, I've learned so much more the last couple of years. I'm out on the road a lot more as well and, like, that construction is booming at the moment as well, so it's it's a great time to be working in the construction industry. But when, when, you're, when the industry is busier, is that the right time to speak to people about pensions? Is that the right time or, or what is the attitude? I think I think the attitude as far as we're concerned is make hay while the sun shines. I mean, essentially, um, while people are employed and earning and there's bonuses and things like that, that's when it's very much time to be considering your your sort of retirement funding. Mm -hmm. And that's what we're trying to do on a a continuous basis. And there's a lot of reasons for it, um, not outside of construction, but just in terms of the overall landscape in the country, you know. Okay, and Natalie, you're obviously out on the road. Um, Mm -hmm. So what, what regions do you work in? Um, well, there's there's a few of us out um, on the road there. We'd be covering uh, the whole country. We have uh, safe pass training, so we can go out on site and we can meet with companies, we can meet with employees directly as well and just go through the benefits of being part of our scheme. We can go through the sick pay that they're covered for, the death and service, um, go through retirement planning um, and emphasise the tax relief that they can get on it as well because a lot of people aren't aware of the tax relief around the pension savings. And mm. is that applicable for the employer companies or for the employees? Um, both. The the employer can get tax relief on it and then the employees can get tax relief on it then as well. Okay, so yeah. h- how does that work say in terms of um, on a construction site because you've got so many people who are subcontractors you know the the employee subcontractor divide I think in this particular industry can be the most difficult Um, I suppose when it comes to that um, the the pension schemes don't have any ability to to step in there so essentially if you're if you're deemed an employee um, you're either in one either the the mandatory uh, pension scheme or you might be in an executive level pension scheme Um, and if you're self-employed you do your own thing so the the both of the schemes that we look after are for employees. Um, for self-employed, you might use um, a different type of pension product. That's mm-hmm. the same across the board, whether yeah. it's construction or not. And what's the typical attitude of an employee now when you approach them, or they approach you in relation to looking to invest with you, or looking? Well, I suppose, we, I mean, very much, very, very, very individual um, situations. Um, for for a lot of employees, it's a sort of a I suppose they they're they're not really thinking about it, and it'll it's like they'll never retire. Yeah. Um. And I suppose our one of our biggest jobs is getting them to engage in the fact that at some point in time they will retire. Yeah. Um. From my side of the company, I kind of tend to deal with people when they have gotten to retirement age and they have some money. So I'm talking to them about their post retirement plans and whether they're going to buy an annuity or whether they're going to invest in an approved retirement fund and how that investment is going to work. But there's an element of trust there as well because I mean I'm sure you have to there's an element of education as well in relation to what they're entering into with you uh, and you know the, the all the stories of the past as well and the mistrust that's there in relation to it Susan would you agree um, so, so essentially um, I mean I suppose what, we're, what you're talking about there is sort of 
pensions yeah. specifically, really, is it? Yeah. Yeah, specifically, yeah, yeah. Well, if we were to get specific, um, you know, if you were speaking to employees about choosing um, an ARF rather than annuity at retirement, like, how do you break that down for people? Because, you know, pensions are a very inaccessible topic for, for almost everybody unless you're in the uh, you're in the area and you're expert in it. So, I mean, how do you break it down in terms of uh, laying forward the choices in a non-biased way? Okay, so there's a very, there's a big level of individual um, decision when it comes to which you go to and it, you're looking at um, a client's attitude to investment risk. Obviously, with the annuity, you are securing a level of income for the rest of your life and you don't have to worry about it but it's not necessarily great value for money depending on when you're retiring um, and with the approved retirement fund you have to be comfortable with a certain level of investment market risk whether you're investing in equities or property or what have you so it's very much uh, comes down to an individual basis Would it depend on the age the person retires? Uh, yeah, well, the earlier you retire, the less likely you are to buy an annuity because the annuity rates are struck based on your longevity. So if you're young, uh, if you're if retiring at 50, that, that income has got to stretch out across to a, an expectancy of, I suppose, late into your 80s, into your early 90s. So the earlier you retire, the more likely you are to, to go the approved retirement fund. The other thing with the approved retirement fund is that you can buy an annuity later on down the line. So you're not locked into one decision or the other. Mm-hmm. Okay, and uh, so I suppose this is something that has to fit not just with age and expectations, but also kind of lifestyle strategies. And so how do you take people through that? Um, Well, a lot of pension schemes and not just our own, um, but they would um, operate lifestyle strategies whereby a lot of people when they're saving for the retirement they're they're very disengaged there's a lot of inertia so they're not making active investment choices so if you're buying an annuity um, and what happened in 2008 with the with the financial crisis happens um, you could have a much reduced pot to buy your annuity with so there's a lot of lifestyling strategies which allow for automatically reducing your investment market risk as you approach retirement uh, maybe in the last five or ten years um, but there's strategies for ARF investors and there's strategies for annuity investors so it's very much a matter of getting to people before, you know, they've, they're not at the retirement age and mm. then making a decision. Mm. It's sort of in the run up to it. And I would imagine that that's where your challenge comes in, Natalie. You know, you're responsible for engaging people in this future planning or even getting them to the table for this yeah, future planning. And, and that's that's part of what we're trying to do. We want to have member engagement. We want to have people thinking about it. We want people to, you know, save as much as they can while they're working. Um, How do you do that uh, with people when we're still hurting somewhat over, uh, you know, after the past decade and, and after the last crash? Like, you know, how do you get that into people's psyche that, look, this is now the time to do this? Um, well, I suppose we emphasise the tax relief that people have on it um, with the with the schemes. They have an employer contribution going in as well. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's not just the employee portion that's going in. They have an employer portion going in as well. Um, and we just try and make sure that people are looking for uh, pensions as part of their package when they're going looking for a new job to make sure that it's, it's something that they're thinking about more and looking for more instead of just looking for X amount of salary that they're looking for these extra benefits. We that's also would yeah, look at... That's an interesting yeah, one. And yeah, we'd also look at education. I mean, the, the demographic of the, the country is changing. Mm-hmm. So you've got a situation where we've got an ageing population and a potentially unsustainable level of state pension. Mm-hmm. So currently, this year, the state pension is 12,911 per annum. Mm-hmm. Um, and 60% of private sector workers have no pension. So you've got to look at a situation where you've got high rents Hmm. or mortgages that are going to go past uh, state pension age. State pension age isn't kicking in till uh, age 68 if you're retiring from uh, 2028 onwards. So what we try and do is kind of explain in a non-frightening way that it's not really an option anymore. The state isn't going to be the main bedrock of your your pension. Uh, Particularly if you're in your 20s, 30s or 40s. Maybe if you're in your 50s and 60s, you can still rely on that as the bedrock of your pension, but it's not anymore. So it's an element of encouraging people to take a bit of... um, personal sort of responsibility mm. yeah and as you say in a non-scary way but actually this is quite a frightening prospect and not just for people in the construction industry but where does the construction industry compare like how does the construction industry compare with other sectors or other industries I suppose because with construction it's such a physically demanding job depending mm. on 
what exactly you do on a daily basis and obviously with technology getting better every day um, there sometimes it is less uh, physically demanding but with with construction they they might not be able to work until 60 65 67 of 68 of course and that's a global trend we're seeing mm-hmm. one that's really contributing to the to the global labor crisis um that's ongoing in the construction industry but in terms of pensions um i i, I think you mentioned there that 60% of the population don't have pensions of the private sector of the private sector don't have pensions so how does that relate say in the construction industry is that above or below 60 or do we know the last statistic we have was the CSO household survey Q4 2015 so it's a long time ago Mm -hmm. now we'll hopefully have another one soon Um, and that was 50% nationally and 34% in construction but that covers the whole base, not just construction workers, okay. but you know, could can cover engineers. How, so, how portable okay. then would, would a pension be? I mean, if you decide to move from construction, say, into retail or, or whatever, pensions you know. are very portable nowadays. Virtually all pensions are portable. If you're in a defined contribution scheme, you can bring it around around with you. You might not. So that might factor. not be the best yeah. advice yeah, because yeah. you can phase your retirement if you've got each of your different pieces of service in different areas. Mm. But um, absolutely, pensions are virtually 100% portable. Mm-hmm. So is that important, say, for the auto-enrollment um, regime? Auto-enrollment, yeah, auto-enrollment at the moment, they did it last year, they had a straw man proposal and, and that's kind of been pulled apart at consultation consultation stage. We don't know what it's going to look like in reality, but I suppose the model will be that you'll have an identification number and no matter where you work, it's going into an account in your name. And that that's probably the, the likeliest way that it's going to work. What's not clear is how auto-enrolment is going to work with the current pension sector mm-hmm. so that'll be interesting to see Where does Ireland uh, um, fit in the international scale like if we're comparing In terms of coverage mm-hmm. um, well we are far behind the likes of New Zealand and Australia because they had the sort of crises that we had that coming and they brought in their mandatory pension schemes decades ago and they've reversed their fortunes so we're a little behind that that the UK as well have done that but it's yet to be seen how successful theirs mm-hmm. is going to be um, and we're probably more successful than the states okay so um given that it, we're we're at a stage in the construction industry where um, there's certainly a lot of indicators saying that we've reached a peak and so therefore we we might be at the we might be facing into the downward part of a cycle now you know how is that going to affect uh, how how's that going to affect getting members engaged in this um, I suppose on our side of the house, we don't have any daily sort of working in, in that area. So what we're trying to do is just get people to take to pay attention to their pensions, to engage with their scheme, whatever scheme that they're in, and to, to look after it. When it comes to whether peaks and troughs of the sector, it's more about save now. You can pause it if you need to, but we don't get involved in that side of things in, in that. OK. And what about for you, Natalie? over the next number of, I, I suppose I, I presume you've a plan over the next kind of 12 to 18 months um, I do yeah but hopefully hopefully things will keep going really well for, for the next 12 to 18 months at least don't have my crystal ball with me today so <laughs> yeah. I can't see that far no, none of our guests <laughs> appear to have bought their, their crystal balls just to speculate for a moment because you're the two you're in, 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 in the uh, pension area um, there's much talk as we know uh, down the years of governments insisting that employees have pensions and and legally speaking have pensions as well. Do you well, think that's the mandatory. Mandatory. The auto enrollment. Yeah. The, the auto enrollment is is the idea is that it, you force people a soft mandatory. Mm. So it's opt out. Mm. Um, and the reason is obviously inertia is a great thing. So yeah. you know you opt everybody in and hopefully they don't opt out. Yeah. Um, when you consider the sustainability of the the current state level of state pension, oh, with the sixty percent exactly, it's it's nearly yeah. irrelevant whether they force you to or not. You kind of have to. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So you think it's 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 more or less coming it's a, coming. It's, to an, that ev- it's an inevitability. Okay, that was uh, Natalie Ryan, business development coordinator of CPAS, and Susan O'Mara, financial service consultant, Milestone Advisory. Thanks for coming in to uh, to us uh, thanks today. Thanks for having thank us. You. And uh, we want to thank all our guests for joining us here today. Uh, also, thanks to Shane Flynn, who was on sound, and producer Katie Tallon. We're back at the same time next week. So stay tuned for uh, Bowl of Soul, which is coming up next. From Brian Fox, myself, uh, and Carol Tallon, have a good week. Oh.